Hi, my name is Mina. Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer here on Kids Talk Church History. In 1535, the writings of Martin Luther had spread to France, and many people were happy to discover that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. King Francis I was initially tolerant of these people, but when some of them hung posters throughout Paris, including one in the king's bedroom door, Francis reacted sharply and started to punish those who followed Lutheran teachings. A young man named John Calvin, who had been working with a friend on a fiery speech on the need of a reformation in the church, decided to escape. Find out what happens next in this episode of Kids Talk Church History. I'm Trinity. I am 16 and I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm Christian. I'm 14 and I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And I am Linus. I'm 13 and I live in San Diego, California. Trinity, you keep leaving us on cliffhangers. What happened next? Well, John Calvin dressed himself like a farmer and lowered himself from a window using some bedsheets tied together. Then he escaped with a hoe on his shoulders so that people would assume he was a farmer. I read that he changed his name to Martixianus Lucianus. Yeah, and he also used other fake names, too. When he went to Ferrara, Italy, he introduced himself as Charles Deus Faville. He also used the name Alvinicus, which is an anagram of Calvinus, the Latin version of his true name. An anagram. If you change the V to an U, then you get Calvinus. Exactly. That's what they did back in those days. They often wrote wrote U's like V's. If you had to work underground, what name would you use? April. I would use Chris. I've actually used the name Mark before, but I have other names, but they're secret. Yeah, I can't give them away. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Anyhow, Calvin went to some Swiss cities, Basel and Geneva, but he really wanted to go to Strasbourg, which today is in France, and study. This was his dream, that he wanted to become a scholar. I think he studied law, and he also translated some works from Latin. But before he went to Geneva, he wrote a booklet for King Francis to help him to understand what the reformers were teaching. I think that those are known as the Institutes. My pastor quotes them a lot. Yeah, the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And Calvin was only 25 when he printed the first version. Then he kept adding to it for the rest of his life. And so when he got to Geneva, the local pastor, William Farrell, had already read the Institutes and asked Calvin to stay. But Calvin didn't want to stay there. Yeah, he still wanted to be a scholar. But Farrell told him that if he went to Strasbourg, God would curse his peace and his studies. Calvin said he was so scared that he gave up his plans. But eventually, he and Farrell had to leave Geneva because they had some disagreements with the church council. And then the council realized that they had made a big mistake and begged Calvin to come back. They offered him a nice house and a big salary that included many barrels of wine. I think that's a a good deal, but Calvin didn't think so because he didn't want to go back. In In the time that he had spent there, he had a lot of trouble. Some of the citizens of Geneva disliked him so much that they named their dogs after him. He only said yes to stay because he understood that God wanted him to go. Sounds really weird to have a dog named after you. Yeah, I think, but I think dogs were not, um, were not really respected in those days. 
when he got to Geneva, he started to preach from the same verse and chapter where he had left off before he left the city. That was three years ago. I wonder how many people remembered his last sermon. Yeah, there's so much to say about Calvin, his life, and his teachings, but we really need to introduce our guest who has sacrificed his time to tell us about this great reformer. Here we have Dr. Herman Sliderhaus, a Dutch minister and professor of church history who has written a few books about Calvin, including one called John Calvin, A Pilgrim Life. Dr. Sliderhaus, thank you so much for joining our podcast. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for the invitation, and I enjoy being with you. So, uh... If you have any questions, um, just let me know. Yeah. Um, in fact, we you just heard what we said about Calvin. Is there anything that you would like to correct or add to the story? Um, no, only one thing. Um, see, he did not want to go to Strasbourg. He wanted to go to Basel, mm. from Paris to Basel, because in Basel, there was Erasmus, the great humanist scholar, the theologian who gave back to the church the Greek edition of the New Testament. But um, he, from Paris to Basel, he couldn't go there because there were troops, as they said, you know, soldiers there. And soldiers often didn't get, didn't get their paid, so they started robbing people. So he didn't dare to go straight to Basel. And he thought, I'll take a detour and I'll go through Geneva. And then he had to stay in Geneva. And then as they uh, they kicked him out, you know, Farrell and, and Calvin, it's, that's right, uh, that's what they did, 1538, so only after two years in Geneva. He thought, well, now I'm rid of this job, I can go to Basel, because he wanted to study. He knew that Erasmus had passed away, but Basel was the city of scholars. It was the city of the printers, and if you want to be a good scholar, you go to Basel. But then he ended up in Strasbourg. Again, detour, and Martin Bootser, another very interesting reformer, found out he was in town. And this Bootser, Martin Bootser, he was a German um, theologian, German pastor. But in the city of Strasbourg, there were many French refugees. So people who fled because of their faith, because of the Reformed faith to Strasbourg. And these refugees, these French people, they needed a pastor. And Calvin was French, so Butzer says, no, you're not going anywhere. You're staying in this town, and you're going to be the pastor of this French refugee congregation. But for the rest, it, you told a wonderful story, and it's all, all correct. So thanks for that. Yeah, thank you for adding to that. We, we weren't aware of that. Thank you. Um, we stopped at the time when Calvin went back to Geneva, and that's when he really influenced the church. Um, I read that people came from all over Europe to learn from him. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, Kelvin had one advantage that, um, like you said, he studied law. So he knew uh, about regulations and rules and, and organization. And so he organized the church. And that was quite spectacular because he said uh, a free church in a free city. So free church means no interference of the government. This is the church. The church is independent. And he made rules that was a new phenomenon. So people came there. That's one, one thing. They said, we have to organize church also, because in the Netherlands and in Scotland and other countries, Hungary, um, there were reformation movements, and they needed to reform the church, reorganize the church. How do you do that? And they went to Kelvin and said, well, your model is very interesting for us, so uh, we'd like to, to use it. And you can still see that. If you go to Hungary in Eastern Europe, or you go to some Italian cities, or you go to uh, Scotland, 
And if you, you're welcome to come to the Netherlands, you see Kelvin system still works. So that was uh, one thing why people came. Then they came to see the city of Geneva because this city was special. Uh, it was clean. There were no beggars. There was a good system of uh, helping the poor, uh, the deacons, uh, as, as we know from the church today. So Kelvin worked it out. Um, so it was a very special place. To, it, it still is a nice place to go to. It's gotten very expensive. So it's uh, for tourists like you know, like like you and me. It's uh, very expensive to go to Geneva. In those days, people just wanted to see it. What what is what is the city? Um, so the, he was very attractive, even to non-Calvinists. So even people that did not agree with him were impressed by the way he organized things. Yeah, you, you mentioned Calvinists, and I, I think that when people think of Calvinists, they just automatically assume people who hold to the teaching about predestination, which is God chose his people from the foundation of the world to be elect. But that's not something Calvin invented, correct? And it wasn't even his main teaching. Um, can you explain a little bit more about all that? Sure. Um, first of all, you know, it, it is, it's awful to be a Calvinist. That's the impression. Calvinists are boring. They always want to have arguments and fights. They have only one doctrine, and that's predestination, making God a tyrant, and all these ideas. So I come, I've come across these, these misunderstandings all over the world, and, and I'm kind of a missionary to try to change that. First of all, the doctrine of predestination uh, is not something like fate or so. You know, it's it's God's choice of um, of giving salvation to people who had chosen for damnation. So it's it's a message of grace and it's a message of comfort. It was a message of comfort for Kelvin. He did not invent it. Predestination is in the scriptures. You find it in the Old Testament. God elected Israel. You find it in the New Testament. If you read the letters of Paul, it's all over there. You find it in the Catholic Church before Kelvin's days in the doctrines of Thomas of Aquinas. So Kelvin did not invent it, invent it. but he wrote it down in a very clear style, not to make people confused. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I elect, not elect? I am predestined or not? But to give them strength, to give them comfort, to give them the certainty of faith. And the idea behind it is, if faith, if salvation is completely God's choice, you don't have to worry about things you need to do, need to accomplish, about kind of things that you have to do in order to enter the kingdom. It's all God's grace, and that gives comfort to people who know they're, they, they still do sins, even if they are believers. So the doctrine was not meant to confuse people, but to give them certainty of faith and to give all praise to God. Because, you know, if, if salvation would be like 95% it's God's choice, 5% is my choice, then... Um, yeah, you would reduce the glory of God with 5%. And you would build in some uncertainty because how do I know for sure that I made these 5%? It's better to leave it all for 100% to God. You give him all the glory and you got your certainty. It's it's quite easy. I don't I, I can't understand why people do so complicated about it. Um in a past episode, we've talked about Luther. Um, can you explain the differences between 
Calvin's teachings and Luther's teachings? Hmm, yes, um, there are not so many differences. Uh, first thing, it's important to see that uh, they are from different generations. Luther was born 1483. Calvin was born 1509. So when Calvin published his institutes, Luther had only 10 more years to live. Second difference, Calvin could not read German. Luther could not read French. So they could read each other's work written in Latin, but not the German works of Luther, not the French works of Calvin. Third, they never met. See, nowadays, you would get on a plane, get on a bus, get on a train, take your car, ride down from Geneva, you know, drive to from Geneva to Wittenberg, sit down and talk, talk with each other. In those days, it was just impossible. So they never met. But we know that Calvin was very fond of Luther's message. But he added something to it. See, Luther uh, rediscovered the message of grace. So if, let me put it this, this way, Luther restored the relation with God, what we call justification. So the doctrine that it is right between you and the Lord because of the work of Christ. That's the basic. That's the fundament. And after that came Calvin and said, wonderful, I built on that further, and I add the doctrine of sanctification. So if your relationship with the Lord is right through grace, then you live accordingly. So Calvin, Luther laid the foundation of justification, and Calvin built on top of that sanctification. The only point of difference is on the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. And that is a that that is a little complicated. It, do you have time to explain or are you into it to so I can explain that briefly to you? Can you briefly go over Calvin's belief about the Lord's Supper? That would be helpful. Now, the doctrine of the church, so the Catholic Church was the doctrine of transubstantiation. So the substance of bread and wine transform completely in the body and blood of Christ. Luther said, that's too much for me, and I don't think it's scriptural. But he did not want to let go of the whole idea. So he taught the doctrine of consubstantiation. I know that is hard, it's difficult, but I'll try to explain. So con means together. Trans means bread becomes the body. Con means it remains the bread, but it becomes also the body. Yeah, For Luther, that was very important. Now, they had a big fight you know, with Zwingli. Maybe you, you, you talked about that. Uh, you heard about that, read about that. Kelvin came a little later. So he was not so involved in all this discussion. And you know, he looked at the various standpoints and he said, no, Christ is, um, is present in the Lord's Supper, but he's not in the bread, he's not in the wine, but he's present through the Holy Spirit. And that was a, what I think, a great solution to the whole debate. Um, but since they never met, they didn't talk about that. 
But that became a big issue, but I think it's a minor issue. More important is that I think John Calvin was Luther's best student, although Calvin was never in Luther's class. Does, does that help a little? Okay, good. Well, this was the hard part. Now get, get me some easy questions. Okay, so um, you, you were talking about how Luther, uh, Calvin, organized the church. Is it kind of the same way that Presbyterian churches are organized nowadays? Yes, it is. Um, <clears throat> so the, the, the key things of the church, of Calvin's doctrine of the church, is first of all, Christ is king. So not human beings, Christ is king. And Christ has a couple of persons who he, whom he gave offices, preachers, elders, and deacons. And these people, they do not come from a government institution, they come out of the church. Yeah, And that's what we see in the Presbyterian tradition, that's what you see in Reformed tradition. So the, the congregation is an independent unit, and the, the elders and the deacons come from the church, even the pastors come from their own congregation, although they not always stay in their congregation, they, they move around. But that's the idea. And what I think is very important is the, um, it's a little political term, but the democratic notion in the church. So every confessing member of the church has a say in things. It's not that we have like uh, uh, CEOs or, or uh, managers or a board or things like that. No, we are all, all on the same level, but we all have different tasks. That, I must say, is also a little problematic. Because if everything, everyone has a say, then you can, you can get a lot of discussions in the church. No, sometimes it would be easier to just have a pope and say, this is the decision, go for it. But in Presbyterian churches, Reformed churches, a lot of people mean to... Um, mean that they have to say something also, and that that sometimes creates uh, discussions. Yeah, um, actually, just yesterday, my church had a vote on approving a new budget. Oh, yeah, but, really? Yeah. And how did it go? Oh, it, it passed. Usually, it's, it's unanimous. It's unanimous. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I know that you wrote some books about Calvin, including a biography, so... Why did you decide to write about him? Hmm, yeah. Well, um, I must say, I, I was never so 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 happy with Calvin. Uh, when I looked at his picture, I thought, you know, this is a boring guy, and he always looks so so a little dark and and as as if he's always a little angry. <laughs> I, I prefer Luther. You know, Luther is a, is a great guy, and he has a nice way of putting things. But, you know, since I'm Reformed, I have to deal with Calvin. And I, I kept coming across um, this idea that that Calvin was not, not so fun to live with and, you no know, the things that I said. And I thought, is that really true? I have to do justice to the person. So let me start reading his letters. And out of that came the idea, I, I changed my mind, and I have to write about that. So that was my reason for writing this biography. So um, 
Why did you call your book, John Calvin, A, Prig- a Pilgrim Life? When I read, uh, I, I read all of Calvin's letters, a couple thousand of them, and I saw that he was a pilgrim in in two meanings, two senses. First, um, physical. He was a Frenchman. He loved France. He would have loved to stay, but he was forced to leave his country. So he never was able to go back. He lived then in Geneva. He lived in Italy. He lived in Strasbourg, which is in which was in those days Germany. Now it's France. But he was never at home. So in that sense, he was a pilgrim. He was traveling and never in his own country. The second and more more important thing is what I found in his letters and in his sermons and his texts is these notions that we as Christians, we are pilgrims. There is this old song um, that we used to sing at Young People Society in the church. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And that that's a message from Scripture in Hebrews, where it says, you know, that we are just passing through history, passing through this world. Our home is in heaven. And that's what I see in Kelvin's thought also. We are always on the road. We're always traveling, also spiritually. And we do not get home until we arrive in heaven and are with Christ. So that was the reason for the pilgrim's life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah? So another thing that I've read is that Calvin suffered a lot throughout his life with his wife and kids dying, but he, that he was also sick a lot, but he insisted on working until he died. Do you think that he worked too much and that that kind of contributed to his sickness? Oh, yeah, did he work too much? First, that he looked so... Um... Well, he always looks a little sick. You know, he's a skinny guy. Luther is the is you know is the fat farmer, and 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 uh, Calvin is so skinny. And you know, it seems as if he had no fun in life at all. But the issue is that he loved eating, he loved drinking, but he couldn't stand it because his his stomach got destroyed in high school. So he went to a high school that was a very good high school in when it comes to lessons. But uh, the cooking at high school was awful, so it destroyed his stomach. Um, he went through a lot of suffering. He had a lot of pain. Um, he had a lot of um, sadness. His mother died when he was still young. His his father got in an argument with the church. <clears throat> then he married finally, and well, he, they did, weren't married for long because. His wife died at a rather early age. She had two children that, you know, that were really a problem by the way they behaved. Then he was treated uh, as an enemy in Geneva. Um, so that is one one part of why he suffered so much. The other part is, did he work too much? I don't know. I don't know if that is so. He he did an awful lot of work. He did a lot of preaching. You know, he, he did like seven sermons every every ten days. Uh, wrote letters, was a pastor, and and things like that. But he he was driven. He was driven by the love for for God, love for the gospel, love for the church, 
But he did take a break once in a while. That's what many people don't know. You know, he writes regularly that he says, now I'm going to take a week off. And then he would go, um, after Sunday morning service, he would go into the mountains, just relax, do some reading, and and uh, take a break. And you can take a break. In Geneva, you know, you can you can see the Alps. You can go into the mountains. You can go into the woods. He did work hard. I don't know if that was the cause for his rather early death. I think it has more to do with his physical situation. But, yeah, he he loved his work, but it didn't kill him. Do you have a favorite story about Calvin's life? A favorite story about Calvin's life? Well, you, you, you mentioned already those enemies of him that called their dog Calvin. And in those days, and I think Trinity said that, Dogs were not so much appreciated, so you could kick your dog, and then you would say, well, "Kelvin, get out of here." So that that that's what people uh, uh, did. Um, an anecdote, some special story. Yeah, I, I just mentioned that he once in a while, you know, took a few days off, and then he writes that he would go across the Lake of Geneva. So imagine this, after the Sunday morning service, Kelvin takes the boat to cross the lake. Now, the idea for some is that he went sailing every Sunday afternoon. Now, so a sailboat and Kelvin hanging over the side of the boat, you know, trying to get the sails straight and his long beard, you know, in the water. Uh, that was not the idea. So he, he used the boat as a ferry to come across. But for some people in Presbyterian and Reformed and Puritan circles, it's very hard to imagine that Kelvin would on Sunday, you know, go on a boat. Um, I was brought up not to do that. We we wouldn't do that. You know, you you could you could ride your bike, uh, but you would not take public transportation. So there are also people. So part of the of the folks say, oh, I, I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I can go sailing. Kelvin went sailing every Sunday. Well, that's not true. And others say, oh, that, that must be a myth because it never happened, but it did happen. So it learns me to listen carefully to what someone said, to what someone did, and to understand the person, he or she, in his or her context. So that's that's one of the stories. And maybe a more thrilling story is, and that really struck me, Kelvin was a very emotional guy. He is not the guy um, from the pictures, uh, the immovable, you know, who, who would be very harsh and, and rough and, and, well, all these characteristics. He writes often about his sorrows, about his sadness, about his tears. And what I found most striking is when he writes about a friend that has passed away, and then he writes to a colleague, and he writes about this friend that died and says, I have to stop writing because I cry so much, I can't write now. So, so emotional. And um, so I, I can only encourage you and everyone who hears or sees this, um, just read Kelvin. Institutes is okay for systematic theology, but read his letters, read part of his sermons, 
and you will learn a lot from him. I heard somewhere that Calvin might not have been happy to hear people say, I am a Calvinist. What do you think about that? Yes, Calvin was not, Luther was not happy with people calling themselves Lutherans. And Calvin said, don't, we, we are Christians. We're not Calvinists. I did not go on the cross for you. So don't call people who adhere to my doctrine Calvinists. So he was not happy with Calvinists. And in fact, the name Calvinist was invented by his enemies. Um, so in the in the meantime, we 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 took it up as a as a as a name that that gives us some uh, pride, um, whether that's good or not. But Kelvin himself, he said, no. If you want to call the people who um, follow the Bible and read my 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 institutes, uh, call them Christians, but not Calvinists. How important for the church was Calvin in general? Yes, well, I can say very important, but that, that will not be enough for an answer. <clears throat> I think he helped the church to see that um, justification and sanctification go together. He helped the church to see that for pastors, a very thorough training is necessary. That for preaching, you have to know Hebrew and Greek to read the Bible in the original text. He was important in helping us to see that every church needs good regulations in order that this kingship of Christ can be secured. Um, he was important in reaching out to people of other opinion. He was very ecumenical in the sense that uh, even if you said things different than he did. He wanted contact, so he sought contact with the the people that came after Swingley. He even tried to get a conversation with the the, the Catholics that are uh, that were in favor of Reformation. So there are many things to learn from Calvin, and we we just need to take the time to read that and adapt it to our situation today. So uh, we're we're just about wrapping up. So we want to ask you some fun questions. So. Okay. It was, it was fun for me so far, but just go ahead. Yeah. This is the question that I asked the others earlier. If you had to go underground, what name would you use? Um, I think I would name myself John Wood. Uh, in, in the Netherlands, I don't, I don't know about the States, but in the Netherlands, there are millions of people that are called John Wood. Uh, so I, I would not be recognized. That, that would be the safest for me. Well, we're almost out of time, but before you go, we have two questions we ask all of our guests. Yeah. First, how did you become interested in church history? And second, if you could meet anyone from the time of the Reformation, who would it be? I got interested in church history because I had an early interest in history in general. I was born uh, about two miles from the German border, and my my parents, they are still alive, and I'm thankful for that. They went through the Second World War, and I heard the stories, and I was interested about that. And from this general interest in history came the more special interest in church history. And living, having been born and living so close to the German border, Luther is clo was closer to me than, than Kelvin. So that's for church history. And then who I would like to meet. Um, yes, I think I, I would like a talk with Luther. I, I find him fascinating. 
but I always also find him sometimes disturbing, you know, what he says about the Jews and about others. And, uh, you know, I would like to sit down in quiet and, and, and talk with him, not to talk, tell him straight, but to listen to him, try to understand him. So he would be the first one if I would have a chance to talk to someone from history. One last question. Since you are our first guest from the Netherlands, can you yes. tell us how to say goodbye in Dutch? And what is your favorite Dutch dish? My favorite Dutch dish, dish, dish is um, sauerkraut stew. Mm. Yeah? That sounds you, good. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. yeah. We, we, we eat that a lot in winter with some mustard and a big sausage. Sounds familiar? Yeah. It yeah. sounds really good now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, when when you're here uh, and you're very welcome, um, I'll ask my wife to prepare that for you in the Dutch way. <laughs> and then how to say goodbye? We say we say tot ziens. Tot ziens. Tot ziens means until we see again. Tot is uh, until T O T, and ziens come from seeing. So until we see again. Tot scenes. Tot scenes. Tot scenes. Yes. And it was a pleasure to uh, to talk to you. And thanks for your questions. Yeah. Great. Yeah, thank you so much for yes. your answers. Dr. Okay. Sliderhouse, we are so thankful that you decided to spend this time with us and share your expertise about Calvin. We are very thankful. And uh, listeners, if you visit our website, kidstartchurchhistory.org, you'll find a link where you can enter a drawing for a free book. This time we are giving away Simonetta Carr's book, John Calvin, where you can find a lot more about this great reformer. But if there are any older teens listening to this program, do read Dr. Sliderhouse's book, John Calvin, A Pilgrim's Life, or A Pilgrim Life. I'm definitely going to read it. And everyone, while you're on our website, check out past episodes, special news, recommended readings, and more. In partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and on behalf of my co-hosts, Christian Linus, I'm Trindy. Thank you so much for listening to Kids Talk Church History. 